Father, thank you, Lord, once again for giving us the opportunity to come together and, Father, to fellowship, to love one another, Lord, and above all, to seek you and to know you in a deeper way, Lord, and to open your word, to hear your truth, your truth, your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have this great opportunity, this wonderful privilege and honor to be here today. And Father, we just give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise, Lord, and I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me, for we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, we're now in part 26 of our series, Wisdom That Works, say Wisdom That Works. And before, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, all of chapter 24. Five points. I'll give you five points. You might remember these. The first one, uh, we're going to go quickly through this, was wisdom and strategy. Say that. And that's in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 24. And Solomon says, Do not envy the wicked, nor desire their company. Then he goes on to say, By wisdom, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding it is established and he says, through knowledge, its rooms are filled. Love this. Its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And then he says that strategy is more effective, a more effective weapon than force of numbers, than force of numbers and strength. And then he says, wisdom is too high for a fool, right? Too high for a fool. Therefore, the fool has nothing to contribute uh, to the discussion in the assembly at the gate. Then he says, a schemer rebels against truth and disregards, excuse me, disregards moral uprightness and he snares at wisdom. The second point was strength of character. Say that. And that's in verse 10 of chapter 24. And that Solomon says that strength of character is only seen when it's truly tested. The third point was opportunity and obligation. Say that. Opportunity and obligation, verses 11 through 22, that when we see cruelty and injustice, uh, we are obligated as believers to act in some way. And he says, as honey sustains and satisfies the body, wisdom sustains and satisfies the soul. And that though one may knock the righteous down seven times, remember that? The righteous cannot be knocked out. They get back up because God is with them. Amen. And he says, we are not to rejoice over the misfortune of those who have wronged us. Then he says, reverence for God and respect for government leaders go hand in hand. The fourth point was partiality and preparation. Say that. And preparation, verses 23 to 29, that evil should be addressed and rebuked, and that fair and impartial judgment is required by God because God is fair and impartial. Can I get an amen there? And then he says, an honest answer is satisfying to the soul. And he says, before you build your house, make sure you make proper preparations, right, to build it. Uh, there should be uh, proper planning in the proper order. And then he says, just because someone has done you wrong doesn't mean you are to do them wrong. Uh, the fifth and final point of last week's text was the sluggard's vineyard. Say that. The sluggard's vineyard, verses 30 to 34. And the sad thing, right, we know this right about the sluggard, is that he had many advantages. He had land, a field, a vineyard that's surrounded by a stone wall, but his wall was what? Broken down. Remember that? Was broken down, and he, uh, he won't repair it. His vineyard is left vulnerable um, to any invader, and his field is left un, uh, untilled and unkept, not producing crops for him and for his family. So he has become poor. Why? Because the only thing that matters to him is what? More sleep. Just wants to sleep. Just wants to sleep. 
This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Apples of Gold. Say that. Now, before we even move forward, dive into the, to the, uh, the points, uh, let's look at verse 1 uh, quickly here. And Solomon says, these are more Proverbs of Solomon copied or compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Uh, king Hezekiah was a king, obviously, there in the text of Judah. He was a good king. His father Ahaz was not a good king. He was a bad king, but Hezekiah was a good king, a God-fearing king. He, he served God. He, he reigned over a time of a national spiritual revival. And what he did, he restored the temple which Solomon had built. And it was in the temple that King Hezekiah's officials found more Proverbs by Solomon. You guys with me? And by the way, King Hezekiah ruled some 250 years after King Solomon, which means that, this is, this is wild, means that the writings, these writings of Solomon were preserved for a period of 250 years and then compiled and copied by King Hezekiah and his men. So that sets the stage for the text. You got it? Okay, six points. If you already say yes. Number one is this, God and the king. Say that. God and the king. Write that down. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. And Solomon writes, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. I want to stop there. Let's read that again. It is the glory of God, say glory of God, to conceal a matter. So God has not chosen to reveal all of himself or his plans, right? We know that. In fact, friends, recognizing his glory includes accepting that he's far higher and far greater than any created being. I want you to write this down, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, one of my favorite verses. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, God says, my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, th there's some things that we will never know. Listen now. We will never know this side of heaven concerning the ways of God, right? I mean, he's, he's just amazing, right? As, as finite people, we can only grasp a limited sense of the infinite God. And you see what God does. God expresses his glory to humanity both in what he reveals and in what he chooses not to reveal. And as, as the only omnipresent, omnipotent, uh, omniscient, perfect creator, God in, is entirely justified in choosing what he will or will not reveal to us because he's God. He could do whatever he wants. He's God. Let's read on. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. So in other words, kings need to investigate matters fully before making decisions. This enables them to judge properly and having sufficient information for judgment. And it would be foolish of them to, to rush to judgment because a decision made without knowing all the facts might prove disastrous. And I want to say this, the same principle applies to modern government leaders. They are wise to weigh matters carefully before making decisions. They need to search out a matter. That's what good leaders do. Amen? And Solomon's point is this, is, is if the king's decision is right, if his decision is right, then he's a great king. That's what he's saying. Now, the spiritual application here can be hungry seekers after God will be satisfied. We're not going to know everything about God, but we can seek him, can't we? And as we seek him, we seek him, right, we will be satisfied. Matthew 7, 7, most of you might know this by heart. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, 
right? And you will find knocking the door will be open to you. So as believers, we need to seek God daily, right? Seek, search God, amen? Verse 3, as the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. So Solomon's overall point here is that the thought process of those in power, those in authority, those in leadership is difficult to determine. Their thought process is difficult to determine. So I want you to follow me here. Citizens, employees, or others who don't have access to the same information of those in authority may not understand why certain decisions are made by them. They, speaking of they, speaking of those in power, those in authority, those in leadership, know something that we don't know. They know, listen now, something we can't know. Why? Because they are privy to information that you and I are not privy to. And that's his point. I also need to say this and point this out. This verse, this verse uh, is a general case statement. In other words, friends, it, it's not an absolute rule because even kings and presidents can be ignorant, uninformed, and oblivious. Can I, can I get him into that? All right, verses 4 and 5, stay with me now. Remove the dross from the silver, and out comes material from four, excuse me, four, the silversmith. Verse 5, remove the wicked from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. So the king needs a society, this is now, purge of evil elements if he is to establish a righteous rule. Got it? Follow me. Just as silver becomes more valuable as the dross, as the dross is removed, so a king's nation becomes more valuable, more secure, more stable when the wicked are removed. Got it? And this also includes removing or purging the king's inner circle, such as wicked counselors, associates, or advisors, those who are morally corrupt. Then the king can rule righteously. I want to say this. The day will come. Say the day will come. A day will come when Jesus will rule the earth in righteousness. Right? Right? But before he establishes his righteous reign, he will remove, he will remove the dross, in other words, the wicked from the earth. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 119. Psalm 119, verse 119. The psalmist writes this and says, All the wicked of the earth, you, God, discard like dross. Verses 6 and 7. Do not exalt, <laughs> listen, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. And do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a noble man. So the imagery is someone overstating their importance. Got it? Only to be put in their place. In fact, Jesus used nearly this exact scenario uh, in his parable of the wedding feast. So I want you to write this down and I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 14 Verses 7 through 11. Luke 14, 7 through 11. I'm going to read it to you, and this is what it says. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Jesus goes on to say this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may, be, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. 
But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those, now here we go, here's the point, here's the principle. For all those who, who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. And that's what the proverb is saying. That's exactly what Solomon's saying. So you ready for the lesson? And this is, a, this is a reoccurring lesson in the book of Proverbs. Here we go. Be humble. Be humble. Say that. It is embarrassing, embarrassing to be put in one's place when others don't view us as highly as we view ourselves. <laughs> right? So it's better to, start, better to start with humility and then be exalted. In James chapter 4, verse 10, we know this, right? James 4, 10, James says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. Now listen, if we exalt ourselves, God is going to humble us. And if we humble ourselves, God is going to exalt us. It's our choice, right? Question, what's the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride, right? And pride is an ugly thing. And what pride does, pride fights against everything that is of the Spirit of God. And we know this, right? The letter I is the middle letter of pride. The letter I is the middle letter of sin, S-I-N. Right? Well, get this. The letter I is right smack. The letter I is right smack in the middle of the name Lucifer. Huh? And that should tell us something right there, right? Don't be prideful. Be humble. Right? And of all people on this earth, Christians should be humble. All right? Like I said, you may be that, but you're not all that. Okay? Say God and the king. Number two is neighborly behavior. Say that. Behavior. Write that down, and we'll look at verses 8 through 10. Neighborly behavior. You guys still with me? Yeah? Okay. Verses 8 through 10. Here's verse 8. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court. For what will... For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? So the meaning is clear here, friends. Don't open your mouth until you get all the facts. Got it? Get them straight. Think things through and then take action. That's, that's a reoccurring theme in Proverbs. Think things through, then take action. Be careful about making quick judgment about things. You guys with me? Because sometimes things aren't always as they seem. Right? And sometimes what you think you see is not the real situation. Therefore, it's best to just think a matter over carefully and not jump to what? Conclusions. It's important not to haul a neighbor into court. Don't do it unless, unless you have solid evidence, Solomon's saying, right? An important reason to do so. So, and you know, by the way, we need to pray when, when we're just, you know, when, we're, when we are in the situation, excuse me, that God give me the wisdom to know when to take action, right? And the courage to wait until the time is right, right? Verses 9 and 10, if you argue your case with the neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, verse 10, or he will hear it, what, or he, or he hears it, or he who hears it may shame you, and you will never lose your bad reputation. What's important is that we learn to go to people directly. Do you get that? When we have a problem with them. And yet, often, 
what we do is what? Talk to everybody else, <laughs> right, about the person before dealing with them. Don't, don't, listen now, don't involve others in a dispute. If you got it, so you got it. And I want to tell you, friends, it's better to try to settle a disagreement with the neighbor privately because if you, if you do go to court, you might discover that what you thought you saw really didn't happen. And then you'll be embarrassed and gain a bad reputation. Got it? Say God and the king. Say neighbor, neighborly behavior. Here we go. Number three is timely words. Say that. Timely words. Verses 11 through 12. You got to love Proverbs, don't you? You got to love it. It says a word aptly spoken. A word aptly spoken is like, here we go. This is the title of the message. I just like this title, like apples of gold. Don't you love that? So a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. How valuable is that? That's pretty valuable, isn't it, friends? Listen, when you say the right words at the right time with the right heart, it's like apples of gold in settings of silver. In other words, it shines. It's beautiful. It's like a custom-made piece of jewelry. When you speak a word, right, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Verse 12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke. That's the word, that's the word correction of a listening ear. So this verse, this verse, verse 12, gives essentially the same teaching as the previous verse, but with an emphasis, listen now, on correction. Got it? Listen, a well-chosen, a well-timely word may communicate, and it does support, right, agreement. It may bring comfort. We know that. Exhortation, guidance, or encouragement, but it may also bring necessary rebuke, necessary correction. And when that correction comes from a caring, well-timed, loving intervention, it's extremely valuable. Why? Because it comes from one who has the wisdom, say wisdom, from one who has the wisdom and who cares enough to say something to you. Listen, the fact that, you, that they are willing to correct you, willing to rebuke you, means that they love you and they care about you because if they didn't, they wouldn't even bother with you, right? So when someone lovingly comes to you and corrects you, friends, okay, that's valuable. Notice that the value of correction is very much tied to, the, to a willing listener. It's tied to a willing listener. You see, the listening, obedient ear will benefit from the wise person's correction, receiving it is like this, like what? Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold. I know we don't like to be rebuked. I know we don't like to, to receive correction or get correction, but it's, it's, when it comes to someone who loves you, it's like an earring of gold, fine jewelry, amen? 13 and 14, like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trust worthy messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. And here Solomon points out that uplifting quality to a person who loyally follows instruction. Okay, you see, knowing someone is, knowing, knowing someone is diligent, diligently carrying out their task, what that does, that brings great relief to a supervisor, to a boss, to a king. 
Now, now the spiritual application here is that God is pleased when we, if you're safe, say amen, his servants faithfully, listen now, carry out his message of salvation. Got it? We are faithful to do that which he has called us to do. It's like coolness of, of snow and at harvest time. Okay, a trustworthy messenger, one who goes out and does what he's called to do. It refreshes the spirit of his master. So when you and I carry out the message of salvation to those around us, friends, it blesses God. Amen? It blesses God, our master. Verse 14, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Let's read that again. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. So in other words, the person who claims they'll do something, who claims they'll, they'll give something but doesn't follow through, Solomon says they're like empty clouds, right? Empty clouds, clouds without rains, and, and that's disappointing. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Follow through with your word. It's very simple. Follow through with your word. And we know this in Matthew 5, verse 37. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus said, But let your yes be yes, and you know, no, for whatever is more than this, these is from the evil one. In other words, do what you say you would do. Follow through with your word. This is not a little thing, okay? This is a big thing. Say big thing. If you're safe, say amen. As Christians, as Christians, we should be people who mean what we say and say what we mean. Yes means yes, and no means no. If, if we make promises, listen now, Christians, if we make promises, if we make commitments, then we need to follow through with them. Unless you're sick, unless there's an emergency, I get that. But other than that, if you make a commitment and you can fulfill it, but you don't, that's a bad thing. We're called to follow through with our word. Amen? Verse 15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. I want to stop there. In other words, rather than rushing to confrontation, use patience to convince those in authority of your views. Got it? This is making a point without making an enemy. It's the bottom line there. This, this also can apply to when you and I, when we witness to others being patient when sharing the gospel. And we got to be patient, friends, when sharing the gospel. Right? We're not there to win an argument. Right? We're there to share the gospel. Got it? Then he says this, a gentle tongue can break a what? A bone. And you read that, a gentle tongue can break a bone. So what exactly is this gentle tongue that can break a bone? Well, a broken bone here in the text is the picture of strong opposition. Say strong opposition. So the point is this, and get this now, that soft words, Calm and patient speech can overcome initial opposition. Got it? And you know what comes to mind is, is and you might know the story of Abigail's conversation with David back in 1 Samuel 25, and her husband, Abigail's husband, Nabal, arrogantly rejected David's request for provisions, and it, it ticked David off. He didn't like it. Right? David was prepared to retaliate. However, Abigail went to David. Here we go. Here we go. And what? Persuaded him not to shed blood. Got it? And David responded in 1 Samuel 25, 33, 
Blessed, he's saying this to Abigail, blessed, blessed be your discretion and blessed be you. You have kept me, David says, kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. Do you get that? So a soft word, a calm spirit, right? Calm speech can overcome initial opposition. Chapter 15, verse 1, write that down, or you can turn it if you want, of Proverbs. says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Whenever you're in the midst of a conversation with somebody, okay, don't fight fire with fire. Respond with a calm, right, calm speech, calm spirit with a very soft word to them. Say, God and the king, Say neighborly behavior. Say timely words. Number four is moderation in all things. Say that. Moderation in all things. In all things. We're going to look at verses 16 through 17. Solomon writes, if you find honey, eat just enough. Eat just enough. Too much of it and you will what? (laughs) Right? You'll throw up. Let's read that again. If you find honey, eat just enough. Just enough. Say just enough. Too much of it. And you will you'll vomit. This warns us about the danger of what? Overeating. Right? It does. In moderation, right, many things can be enjoyed. We know this, right? Many things can be enjoyed in moderation. But even good things become harmful when, we're, what? when, when they're overindulged, when, when they're idolized, or even turn into addictions. Verse 17. Look at this. This, this, this verse a trip. <laughs> Solomon set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. <laughs> right? You get that? This warns us against abusing another person's hospitality. Don't, don't make frequent uninvited visits. Hello, we're here again. All right? Now, company is good. We know that company is good, right? It's a good thing, friends. But even good company becomes an irritation when it's overdone. The bottom line is this, friends, don't wear out your welcome. Let me me sum up these two verses, okay, that we just read. Too much candy will make you sick, and too much time at your neighbor's house will make them sick of you. Got it? Number five, here we go, dealing with others. Say that. Dealing with others. God and the king, neighborly, neighborly behavior, timely words, moderation, all things. Number five is dealing with others. Verses 18 through 20. Stay with me now. Verse 18. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. So false testimony belongs to the same. In other words, what he's saying here, false testimony belongs to the same group as weapons of war. Because they all, they're, they're, all, they're all lethal instruments used to assault another's well-being. That's what Solomon's saying. It's bringing false accusations, lies, rumors gossip about someone. It's verbally bludgeoning or cutting and piercing someone. Listen, dishonest statements can ruin a person's life. When we say dishonest statements about others, it ruins their life. It can destroy their livelihood. It can hurt their family, damage their reputation beyond, beyond repair. By the way, the word neighbor in this text is any person, whether they are ranked among our our enemies or our friends. 
Verse 19. Like a bad tooth, in other words, pain, what? And misery. Or a lame foot, in other words, unsure, unreliable, unbalanced, is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. This warns us against trusting unreliable, disloyal people during challenging times. You guys with me? It's painful. It's frustrating. It's fruitless. In other words, you cannot count on them. If you're safe, say amen. That says that we should be dependable. We should be reliable. We should be faithful, right? Verse 20, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda, in other words, a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So let's read that again and explain what he says here. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. This verse speaks against careless, shallow reactions to another person's sorrow. You guys with me? When someone's going through something, and we know they're going through something, we as believers, let's be honest, we are conditioned, right, conditioned to say things like, you know what, hey, you know what, there's a reason for everything. Or how about this, friends, we say, hey, at least it wasn't something worse. They don't need to hear that. And even though, friends, those sentiments are true, we know that, right? They're not usually helpful for a person dealing with tragedy, with depression, or with, or with discouragement. And sometimes the best course of action that you and I need to take when comforting a hurting person is simply just to sit with them, and guess what? Just cry with them. And I know that we want to just kind of like give them a verse, you know, quote a verse. Just stop. Sit with them and cry with them. The time will come when you'll be able to do that. And as Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. What? Weep with those who weep. Right? So the next time you see a brother or sister who's just down and depressed, who's going through it, and you, you know, you know, just go up to them and just hold them. Sit with them and cry with them. Don't say anything. Don't quote a verse. That'll come later. But just let them know that, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you, and I love you. Amen? Verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Verse 22. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm say it again. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, this is a sign of repentance. Okay? You see, kind acts towards the very person who has harmed you are intended to encourage Tended to, uh, to encourage to uh, encourage to repentance. In other words, you're, as they see that you're kind to them, heaping coals on their head is hoping they'll repent from their bad behavior towards you. And he says this, and the Lord will reward you. In other words, God blesses those who treat their enemies kindly. In fact, Paul quotes this in Romans 12, 20 to 21. Go home and read that. Verses 23 and 24. As a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. This is speaking about others, uh, about others' will, ill intent. It leads to angry response or an angry countenance. And this is a matter of cause and effect. As a north wind brings rain, the sly tongue brings an angry look, right? So if you're doing something against someone with ill, Will intent, they're going to look at you, right, and go like this, 
right? It's just a matter of cause and effect. Verse 24, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, I'm going to leave it there, okay? I'm going to leave it there. But peaceful solitude, what he's saying, is better than strife-filled companionship. Companionship. And this, this also, I know this is addressed to the wife here, but this also applies to either spouse. Got it? So say God and the king. Come on. Say neighborly behavior. Say timely words. Say moderation in all things. Say dealing with others. The last final, number six, is good news and self-control. Say that. And self-control. Verses 25, 27, verse 25, like cold water to where his soul is good news from a distant land. I love that. Verse 26, like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. In other words, this means setting, listen now, setting aside your standards of right and wrong. That's what he's talking about. A drink of pure water from a spring of fountain is refreshing. We know that, friends, but water, water's clogged with stirred up dirt, not refreshing. Not a good thing. And that would disappoint. Now, if you're safe, say amen. As Christians, as Christians, when we find our lives being continuously compromised, our, our spring is polluted, and when we try to give a cup of cold water to those in need, something tastes a little funny. So he's saying, the point is this, our lack, as Christians, our lack of purity affects our witness. And what it does, it muddies our testimony and disappoints anyone who looks to us for an example of righteousness. Christians, not perfect, but we should do our best to live right. Amen? Therefore, when we all offer someone cold water in terms of testimony, it's right. It's right. Verse 27, it is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. Listen, self-exaltation, self-seeking, self-promotion seeks to be glorified, okay, seeking to be glorified, excuse me, will make you sick just like eating too much honey. So here's the lesson. Don't seek your own glory. Say that. Don't seek your own glory. It will nauseate not just you, but those around you. Chapter 27, verse 2, we'll get to that soon. Uh, Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another praise you, you get that? And not your own mouth. Who? Someone else and not your own lips. So don't brag about yourself. Don't exalt yourself. Let others do it for you. Amen? Verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. That's, that's a deep verse there. Read it again. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. A city without walls was a city vulnerable to attack. They were defenseless. Got it? And this illustrates the, the vulnerability of the person who lacks self-control. Got it? And you see, when we lack self-control, friends, we too are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. So the question is, how do we cultivate self-control? How do we do that? Well, by submitting, by submitting, by yielding ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. And we know this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, gives a list of, of the nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And the last one on the list is self-control. Right? 
that we submit, yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, we're able to what? Practice self-control. Because one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in my life, in your life, is what? Self-control. Therefore, friends, we need to make we need to make a point of yielding ourselves daily, say daily, daily to the control of the Holy Spirit. That we get up in the morning and say, Spirit of God, I'm going to yield myself, submit myself to you right now that I may practice and walk in self-control. Amen? Self-control. Now, we would all agree that, that hot tempers, bad tempers cause arguments, right? We see it all the time. Anger causes mistakes. People with hot tempers do foolish things, stupid things. They make stupid decisions. They make fools of themselves. Listen, there are all kinds of costs involved with a bad temper. You guys with me? It can cost you your job. I've known folks, because they have bad tempers, lost their job because they blew up at work. It can cost you your job. You can lose your reputation. You can lose your children. You can lose your spouse. There's a price tag to losing your temper, and it's not worth it. Can I get amen? You see, when our temper, when our temper gets the best of us, it reveals the worst in us. When we lose our temper, we always lose. So here's a lesson. I'm going to wrap this up. Here's a lesson. Are you ready? Reflect, reflect before reacting. I know that's easier said than done sometimes, but reflect before reacting. Think about the consequences. And before you want to blow up, stop and say, you know what, if I do this, what are the consequences of me doing this? Who will I harm? What will I lose? We've got to stop before we blow it. Think about the consequence. Think about those who you can harm by blowing up and saying things and doing things that are harmful. So we need to what? Reflect before reacting and allow the Spirit of God to have the best of us. Amen? So God and the King, neighborly behavior, timely words, moderation in all things, dealing with others, and good news and self-control. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you.